Welcome. Well, hey, thank you. Hey, thank so you it's uh, it's great to be here. Uh, we'll go around and just do some in- introductions, cool. right? So the listener knows who we have the pleasure to speak with today. Absolutely. My name is uh, Danny Bauer. I host a show called Better Leaders, Better Schools. I'm a principal development retention expert, best-selling author, and I actually host two of the world's most downloaded podcasts. So that's me in a nutshell. But for all, I'm going to throw you the mic. Tell us about you. Dude, I don't even know if I can even say anything after that. Like, best-selling author. <laughs> don't be me, be you, though, right? Like, yeah, there's exactly. my voice already. We need your <laughs> voice, too, right? My name is Pharrell Thomas. I am from the state of South Carolina, and I am the principal of the Great Court Owen School, a K-8 school in a small rural district, a large school district, 55. I live in Greenville. It's a neighboring district, and I've been a native of that state in place for the last 52 years. Okay. Yeah. How about that? Damon, right? Yes, Damon Qualls. Uh, excited to be here from Greenville, South Carolina, uh, representing Bold Leadership Network. Um, this is my first uh, time attending the uh, conference for the National Association right. of Elementary School Principals. Have thoroughly enjoyed uh, my time thus far and a lot of bold conversations that we've been having uh, with leaders from across the country. Yeah. What's been the best part for you so far, David? Wow. Uh, The best part, I think, has been the recognition or the acknowledgement uh, that these conversations around BIPOC uh, collaboration need to happen. Uh, We just finished a very engaging uh, focus group with about uh, 20 uh, school leaders from across the country and to see their passion and um, recognize the need for affinity spaces and uh, true networking opportunities and experiences is extremely rewarding and it solely aligns to the work that Bold Leadership Network strives to do daily. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Thanks, Damon. Appreciate Thank that. Edward, right? That's right, Edward. All right, again, my name is Edward Anderson. I am the executive director of an uh, organization called On Track Greenville. Yeah. Um, on Track Greenville works together to leverage public and private partnerships to keep kids on track to graduate from high school and our lowest and our highest poverty schools in uh, Greenville County. Mm. Um, I am a former middle school principal as well, assistant okay. principal, curriculum coach, and teacher. So, takes a takes a special kind of person, right, to do middle school. It takes a very special kind of person to do middle school. Um, I think you kind of have to be a little um, middle school yourself, your Absolutely. personality. You gotta be able to have some fun and not yeah. to take things too serious. All right, well, tell listen, like what what's a middle school vibe or like what what is that for you? You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So for me, <laughs> um, to be able to laugh yeah. and humor. Yeah. Um, you've got to be able to um, not always take. Um, things too serious because one of the things about middle school kids that we know is that they can love you one day and hate you the next day Mm. and cry on your shoulder the third day and um, by the end of the week um, it's something different and so um, you've got to be able to ebb and flow just like them and so you've got to be able to be flexible and I believe and consider myself as a very flexible person in that way. Flexibility is key. Mm -hmm. Except for your knee. Except for my knee. Okay. That's true. Definitely. (laughs) You got to keep those okay. You know, so I appreciate that you're part of this focus group. And, uh, you know, just as an outsider looking in, I'd I'd love to hear what that experience was like for you. Um, You know, sometimes they say, you know, for me, this is my 20th year in education. But the experience in the room was 20 times that amount, right? right? So if we had to put... All the, the the years of people. So to be in a place where um, 
as a leader, right? As a leader, I'm looked upon in my building as being that person, right? Mm -hmm. That expert or someone who particularly knows. But when you get into a space where you're filled and not being the one that's filling others, yeah, that's a, awesome. that's a great place to be because oftentimes that we don't have the opportunity to develop ourselves, but mm -hmm. be in a space where you are hearing others and they're sharing their experiences and sharing uh, their uh, the, the knowledge that they've received from those experiences, I think it's totally invaluable. And that's probably been the best part for me. This conference, this is my third conference, and this okay. is probably the best conference that I have ever attended. This is going to my fourth year as a principal. And I started this conference after my first year as principal, mm -hmm. and it's been it, tremendous for me. Better why? Um, better why? Uh, yeah. It's just because it gives me an opportunity to be in a space with people from all over the country. Yeah. And just to, to hear from them, I was asked, I presented, this is my first time presenting hey. at this conference as well, okay. because I was, uh, I got an email from a friend that I met two, three years ago, yeah. um, Liz Garden, and Liz Garden yeah. asked me, she said, hey, Pharrell, um, I, I, I see the work that you do, and I know the type of person you are, would you mind leading with me, um, co-presenting with me in a um, session? And because she said it was based on just working from the heart, leading from the heart. And she, again, just knowing Liz and just connecting with her and being uh, having that connection even after the conferences, uh, it is it gave me an opportunity to do that. And so that wouldn't happen if yeah. I've never been a part of this organization. Heart centered leadership. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. Leading yeah. with heart. Yeah. Damon Edward, what about you in terms of the focus group experience? Yeah, I, I will kudos to this association for are recognizing a very unique need. Uh, with bold leadership, we recognize and, and understand that uh, when you consider the number of African-American males not only serving in school leadership positions, but even teaching, sure. uh, it's less than 2%. So um, to recognize that there is a need to have these conversations around some of the challenges that school leaders of color, principals of color in particular, um, face and providing a platform, na a national platform uh, for these school leaders to come together uh, to discuss challenges, to discuss best practices, to discuss what a beneficial networking experience will look like, to discuss a need for affinity spaces and to put the title of principal to the side and really, uh, embrace self-care and talk about some of those things. It has been extremely impactful and I'm excited about uh, what the future holds around this this topic in conversation. Right, right. Edward, can I ask you a new question about yeah, affinity, affinity spaces? Mm -hmm. Can you describe that in your own words? Like what are affinity groups and why, why are they so important? Mm -hmm. Yes, so an affinity space is a space in which people come together that share a uh, common journey or common experience. And in this, uh, particular instance, as Damon mentioned, only 2% of educators in this country mm -hmm. are black males. So it's essential for people to come together that share those experiences that maybe only they understand. Because if not, then you feel isolation. Mm -hmm. And one of the big um, uh, things, especially in this profession, that we want to ensure um, we have a pulse on is retention. Right. Um, making sure we are there for our students and there for our community. And if you cannot create safe spaces where people with common experiences and journeys, then you can't breed belonging. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have belonging or inclusion, then you're going to lose people. Yeah, 100%. I have this framework I call the ABCs of Powerful Professional Development, Authenticity, Belonging, and Challenge. Mm -hmm. That belonging piece is so important, right? Mm -hmm. People need to be, uh, be seen and heard 
feels safe, right? Like you're talking about to, to unpack these shared experiences that you go through that I wouldn't understand, right? Yeah. And so that I'm, I'm glad that, uh, thank you for the definition. Is there anything you would add to the definition or anything, guys, uh, Pharrell, Damon, that you want to add in terms of why it's so important? Well, you know, <laughs> I said this yesterday, and I've said this quite often here lately for me, I'm a PPer. Tell me more. And that's a pandemic principle. Okay. <laughs> you survived. <laughs> I, I did. You're here. But let me tell you the reason why I survived, because there was no script for that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And March of 2020, schools that uh, shut down, schools across the country shut down. I was assistant principal then, and in that time frame, um, from March to May, then I was elevated and promoted to a principal. And so I'm going into a principalship with uh, an undaunting task of leading a school during a time that no one has ever seen before in the past century, right? Mm-hmm. Since the last uh, pandemic, right? And so leading the school and that challenge in itself, and it, it was this group. And this group of men, bold leadership, that mm-hmm. helped me because I was doing text messages or we were on on, on video uh, chats and and just the meeting up. We would even meet Shout together. I mean, we even gave COVID to each other. Oh no, <laughs> no, we did. we're gonna leave that story out. Yeah, oh, we no. did because uh, we were gathering and yeah. it was a Super Bowl gathering we had. But we that entire year if it wasn't for the affinity space that i had with these men who had been principals some had been principals for 12 years and three years and four it's just just the difference in just their stories and their expertise mm-hmm. and just being able to share in that like like, like uh, dr anderson said in that same journey and those experiences it helped me stay in the seat and effectively lead my school during a time where um, if I had been by myself, I don't think I would have made it um, no. to the caliber that I did and, and lead the school and be effective in my in my craft. Yeah, I always say that isolation is the number one enemy of excellence, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I can only imagine, you know, uh, sitting in the seat that you sit in, right? That's even compounded more. Right. So, yeah, appreciate that. And again, Damon, great work, great work. So, um, cool. Can you bring us to a moment when you are in an affinity space and it was just really working for you, right? Like, I understand that you need a safe space, right? A place where you could discuss, but can, can you bring me to a moment where it was powerful? Absolutely. So next year will be my 20th year uh, in education. And no way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I shared in the focus group uh, this morning, um, many of those years, obviously we're spending isolation. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I felt like I had to be that dude, mm-hmm. highest uh, achievement, winning all of the awards, yeah. and you work in isolation and you don't collaborate and you don't share. And so finally, um, there was a point when I recognized that um, I did have something to offer and I did have something to give back. And so a young man by the name of Adrian Mays uh, reached out to me, an aspiring administrator, he reached out to me at the conclusion of my first year of principalship and shared that he wanted to uh, come work alongside me during uh, the summer as a part of his administrative uh, degree um, practicum. And so he came to my campus for that entire summer and I told him that, you know, I was going to work him 
for real, for real. Like, <laughs> if I'm going to put my stamp of approval on you, you yeah. will be tried and true. And it was a great experience. Um, we were able uh, to bring him on when Bold Leadership Network uh, began to formulate. And so he uh, is the youngest uh, member of the Bold Leadership Network. And at that point, then he uh, received mentorship, not just from me, but from the collective. And so in terms of a moment uh, of pride and, and uh, recognizing that this affinity and this network truly works, um, Adrian, I think he might be 31, 32, um, just became principal of yeah. Hughes Academy there in Greenville, South Carolina. So to see uh, his transition from a highly achieving uh, teacher to an aspiring administrator, to assistant principal, helping him with you know resume building sure. and uh, interview skills, and to now I uh, see him leading his own school. Yeah. That is um, something that I'm extremely proud of, and and know that bold is a choice, and the bold, bold effect is a bold yeah. is a choice, and the bold effect works. Gotcha. Can yeah. you give me a, a interview tip with the lens of being a principal of color, like a top tip? I think you have to be your authentic self. Mm -hmm. uh, no one can articulate and share your story like you can. Right. And so uh, be unfiltered and be bold in your mm -hmm. words, mm -hmm. uh, recognizing that your story is definitely going to impact, motivate, inspire someone else to use their voice. So yeah, just be bold, be authentic, unapologetically. Yeah, mm -hmm. got it, <laughs> cool. So let me ask you this. And the answer might be no. Yeah. I don't know what, what's going to happen here. But are there any uh, schools or systems in your experience that are doing things well, right? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Iowa City. Yeah, so <laughs> we, we are working with Iowa City Schools. Uh, shout out to Superintendent Matt Degner. Mm -hmm. They are so beyond... Um, my wildest expectations in terms of what they're doing around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Who would have thought in the middle of the country in Iowa of all places yeah. um, that they- I have a story about that, do, right? So it's, it's, It is incredible. We, we're working with uh, principals and aspiring principals there and just to tour those schools to see the uh, murals and artwork and, and quotes. The, it, it is the epitome of what a bold school should be. So shout out to Iowa City Schools. I'm looking forward to continuing the work out there. Yeah. One of the things I will say also about Iowa City Schools is that many times when you see DEI efforts and just inclusion efforts in general, you'll see a lot of the external things like like Damon mentioned, the murals and the paintings and the and the talk. But one of the things that I'll commend them for is uh, that old saying is where you put your money is, is what you really truly believe in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have budget items and line items for efforts um, such as um, climate and culture specialists that are in the hallway. Mm -hmm. Um, for restorative practices spaces, um, for alternative disciplinary frameworks. Um, those things are invested in financially as well. It's just right. not talk. Yeah, yeah. so, and I, I love that because when you show me your calendar, you show me your bank account, I know everything you prioritize. Right, right. that's right. So yes. I think that's what you're talking about there, Edward. And uh, you so the murals, that's great, you know, signs, quotes, this kind of stuff, but it's so much more, right? And you you were talking about some programs that I don't have a lot of knowledge about, so what are some of those? What's the more? Can you give us some examples? Oh, absolutely. Of that? Yeah. Um, one of the things that we know in this country to be true is that there is an over um, referral disciplinary um, model around students of color. 
And so um, one of the ways in which to combat that is to include or, or create or integrate um, alternative disciplinary practices in your in your buildings. And what that means is it's not simply a major offense that gets you expelled or suspended um, or a minor offense that may send you to in-school suspension or detention, but instead you give an equipped teachers and staff members and parents with the education to be able to make dis true disciplinary um, decisions that truly reflect without taking students all the time out of the learning environment. Mm -hmm. You cannot have students learn and make progress if you're constantly taking them out of the environment. Most of the time teachers are taught, here's a referral and, and that's it. But what alternative disciplinary practices teaches you is that there's hundreds of ways to actually teach mm -hmm. or discipline a child on, on that. And so when you really break that down, you're talking about three things. You're talking about res restoration. Typically, when discipline happens, you're restoring a relationship that you have right. broken. The second thing is reflection. A lot of times, kids don't have that opportunity to reflect on what they did. And so you're providing them with an intentional opportunity to reflect. And the last thing is instruction. Kids don't always get instruction. Instead of this behavior, what else can I be doing? Mm -hmm. And so someone should instruct them on when you want to lean into this particular action, how about do this instead? And this will have a different outcome for you. And so when I talk about all those other practices within schools, schools that are doing those things well, I would say the schools is doing a lot of those particular practices around alternative discipline methods, around expanding the toolkit and the toolbox for educators. Right, got it. How about uh, in terms of a, a colleague, right? A white colleague who wants to be more of an ally and to create a more belonging type of space, a safer space. Do you have any feedback for the listener who wants to do that? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, it's almost like Carlos, I mean, he's sitting here. That, that's, a, that's one of those Carlos things. Even Damon, we, we've had so many um, benefactors that don't like us, right? And we actually, with bold leadership, we have, uh, have bold allies. And okay. bold allies are people who recognize the work and you may not be a person of color. Mm -hmm. You may not be an African-American uh, teacher, male teacher, um, but you recognize the need for that. And so you contribute to the process of what we're doing. So uh, we have on our website where people can become allies. Um, we are looking for financial support, mm -hmm. of course, but also uh, we have people that that give us a space to use um, to give us some materials or some things of that nature. So we're always looking for people uh, to join our uh, fight in, in our movement to better equip our students and our teachers to understand what what we're doing and to understand the need for it to be grown. Because um, Dr. Anderson has a stat that says uh, that. Uh, children of all races who have a black male teacher mm -hmm. uh, has a higher success rate in education as far as uh, graduating high school, right? What What's that stat? Yeah, yeah so so 39% of black students that have a black male educator in elementary school, there's a 39% greater likelihood that a student of color will go to college and graduate from high school if they have a black teacher in elementary school. But there's also a lot of research that shows that students that are white students um, will also benefit greatly in all these different ways from having a teacher of color. Mm -hmm. When you think about the workforce, you think about CEOs, executives, most executives and CEOs in this country are white. And so if those students are growing up 
to take those particular positions and have had positive early interactions with teachers of color and, and understand how to work with, collaborate with, understand, respect, then when they get in those positions, then you'll start seeing that really um, almost, you, you can't measure, a measurable impact of policies and practices that filter into that particular job or organization. Right. Yeah. Awesome. I just think it's, it's um, beneficial to just have the conversation and to be open and to be honest. Uh, part of Bold Leadership Network's platform is just that bold conversations where we bring in experts around this space uh, to the upstate of South Carolina uh, and have conversations on a stage, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a stage conversation. Just um, in passing curiosity, I am not one that is easily offended or sensitive, but I recognize that when people ask questions, they truly want to know. Um, one thing that I joke about uh, many times, uh, my some of my former staff members would walk into my office and I would be brushing my hair. They're like, but you're bald headed. I'm like, actually, I'm not bald. <laughs> I have hair, like these are waves. My hair is trained. I wear do-rag at night. So like I explain, you know what I mean? And I'm not offended by that. Uh, they need to know. So just finding those little um, opportunities to um, not be so overly sensitive and recognize that we actually do have more in common mm -hmm. uh, than, than we recognize and just being bold about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate you not taking, you know, being uh, sensitive in your words, right? But there's got to be things that are, are annoying, right? And I'm curious, you know, for, for the listener, what would you say uh, to your white colleagues, like, just stop this one thing? You know, I don't know if that's too much of a general question, but I want to go there. Like, is there... It's a good question. You know what I mean? Like, I see why you're a top podcast. Right? Hey, uh, hey, hey. <laughs> I've been putting wow. in the reps, right? So right. Stop this one. I wouldn't say yeah. that I am annoyed by it, but I do wish yeah, or that maybe it's offensive, if right? you like, are curious enough to ask, mm -hmm. also be curious enough to do your own research. Yep. Because having the same conversation over and over does get exhausting. Yep. And while I may not mind answering it, out of respect, um, come to the conversation with, I've spoken to other folks. Mm -hmm. um, I have done some research on my own. Yeah, You can Google, you can chat GPT now. Yeah. Um, you gotta be Get some answers that, for yourself yeah. and then come to me and say, hey, I've done some research on this, um, but I still want your insight. Yeah. I would love your input on it. And then that shows me that you're not just coming to me as your sole you know, person of color source. to yeah. you know, answer for everyone, but um, I just I care about you. I care about you enough to, to want to know your insight, not just like oh, I'm going to take it and leave because I can't speak for everyone. I put in some work. I've demonstrated some ownership, some curiosity, but I, I want you to clarify or give me talk to me from your experience. Yes. A little bit. Okay. Yes. Thanks. How about y'all? I, I guess for me it would be because this is a pet peeve of mine for anyone. Okay. Wife included. <laughs> hey, no, oh, is she going to listen? <laughs> no. All right. Being double standard. Mm -hmm. Just have it. Just give just, me an example, of that. right? Just like it's it's okay for a country club to be exclusionary to say only these particular people can come to this country club and play golf, mm -hmm. but then it's a problem when it's an all black organization that's trying to move forward with the inequalities that's right. out there, um, and then that's that group is. Uh, divisive. Mm -hmm. So how how is that divisive? It just seems like when it's, it's it seems like it 
may exclude you, but it's yeah. really not, then that's a problem. But when this country has been kind of built on having that exclusion of whether it be race or social economics. So mm-hmm. um, that's just a, probably just a pet peeve for mine, just anybody just having double standards. Like if, if it's one standard should fit for us all, yeah. I mean, if we're all human, that's, that's my deal. Right. Thanks for the concrete uh, example. There. Yeah. I appreciate uh, being able to model the beauty that comes with being an African-American male. And so I think you're super positive, though. So, like, you know, I was asking about pet peeves and things mm-hmm. that folks should stop. Right. 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 Okay. And I don't I don't necessarily have something that I think that people should stop. OK. I think that uh, people should start recognizing um, the complexity of being an African-American male. For example, right. I'm sitting uh, in here today in a suit and a tie yeah. um, and I'm, I feel well received. Yeah. Uh, when I leave here, I'm going to immediately probably put on my Jordans, some shorts, maybe a hoodie. Yeah. And would my reception then change? Absolutely. So I think that people should um, not necessarily stop doing a thing, but start recognizing that being an African-American man comes with uh, different complexities and that I don't necessarily have to look like this in a tailored suit and necktie and shirt to be someone that you can have a conversation with. You can have a conversation with me when I have on my do-rag. You can have a conversation with me when I am, you know, chilling by the pool. Um, you, I, I tell the story often that, um, my shopping experience uh, depends on what I have on sometimes. Um, although my salary and the money in my checking account does not fluctuate, but what I have on in certain stores, um, my my customer service is, experience may be different um, if I look like this or if I'm in you know relaxed clothing, clothing. So I just think that people should start recognizing the complexities of African-American men. Uh, we are husbands fathers, sons, just like anyone else uh, with unique skill sets and ability. And our appearance does not necessarily have to, nor should it dictate how we are received or treated. Right. So, uh, Damon, you were talking about authenticity you know, mm-hmm. earlier, and uh, we were talking about like the interview process. But for Pharrell and Edward, I'm curious, like your best uh, tip in terms of a principle of color just navigating school leadership. What, what would you want to say to him or her? Um, I guess I'll start. Um, I guess it goes with basically what I presented on yesterday, just leading with a heart and having that humanistic approach mm-hmm. to leadership. Um, and But I said this yesterday, although I am empathetic to a lot of situations that people go through and I really try to challenge channel um that um quality of leading and loving and just loving people and and having a great time and my 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 whole philosophy is this if you're coming to my school every single day and you have to get in your car get dressed do it and get in your car and travel to work it should be a place that you enjoy going to Mm -hmm. so i do that if I have a kid that comes to my building that doesn't like coming to my building, that's not a kid problem. That's an adult problem. That's our problem to fix. And so I, I wanted to be a place where it's a, it's a great experience for people to come. Um, but my expectations are here. Mm-hmm. I mean, my kids are rural, poor kids who are already behind the eight, 
eight balls who are already just dismissing. They're they're not on the same level of playing field as others. And so it takes extra. I mean, we have to give all of ourselves and more for them to even be halfway to the point where they need to be. And so my expectations uh, level for that is still high. But how I lead, I share leadership, I, I embrace people, uh, and, and I try to, uh, again, understand the human side. Like, you know, you're, you're late for school, your kids, you got some things going on. I understand that. Let's, how can we talk about that, and how can I help you um, be able to do what you need to do but still recognize that you have an issue outside of work? And not just be so work-minded and focused that we got to do this, this, and that. So um, my quote that I used yesterday, and um, I still stand by it, your greatest resources are your human resources. Yes. And so how we treat people and how we lead them, is it's going to determine how you get to the end results. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I would say that um, there are three parts to uh, leadership that are critical. And I believe that if you were in an interview – um, you should go in and and share all three parts of those things. I think the first thing is vision. Mm -hmm. Um, you have to make your vision plain. You have to make it clear and simple. Um, in my background, uh, making that vision more about the culture, climate, and relationships, as as Pharrell mentioned, are critically important about how you want people to feel when they walk in your building. From a, a volunteer to your teacher to your students to your parents to your staff, um, you should set a clear vision for how you want your school to feel when you walk in and be able to and be able to share it. Um, I think the second part is strategy. You have got to be strategic and you have to be able to share that you're stra that you're a strategist. How are you going to um, train leaders in your building to be leaders? You're not going to be there every day. So how do you do that? Um, you have to be strategic and being able to lead up, meaning to the district, meaning to those that you report to. Um, I think that's an art that is not mastered before you get into the principalship of <laughs> how do I how do I lead up to this board or how do I lead up to my superintendent? Um, because so often we're used to giving much of ourselves to our students or mm -hmm. to our parents. But there's a place where you have to flip that mm -hmm. and think about when they walk into my building or um, um, when there are certain policies to be followed, how do I how do I you know, navigate that space. And then the last piece is operational. So vision, strategy, operation. Operations is modeling what you expect. Um, how, as a principal, am I showing up on time? How am I in front of the building in the beginning of the day? How am I um, uh, treating students the way that I expect teachers to? Um, I think you just have to be able to do those, those particular three things, vision, strategy, operations, and be able to explain it, articulate it. And if you can do that very clearly, um, I think you've painted a picture in people's mind about what type of environment you're trying to create. Yeah, you make it vivid so it's clear to them, right? Absolutely. And, then, and with that clarity, people will trust, right? So Absolutely. I like that. Um, here's where we'll end. Last question, concise answer, but we talked about a lot, right? Yeah. So for the listener, what's the one thing you want? he or she to remember? Mm. Ah, um, remember um, that uh, you just heard some stories and experiences from uh, three black male leaders that are continuing the work uh, of retaining and recruiting and uh, getting more male black male leaders into our profession because it is needed. Um, I have four children, and I never wanted any of my children to be an educator. 
Um, and I, cause I just said, you know, there's some, just a better life, right? Just, mm-hmm. you, you don't want this, this life. But then I thought about it. I said, why not? Right. Why not? My children have seen me. I've been that model. Like Damon talked about, I've been that model for them as a, as a dad, but also them and seeing me giving back to my community. And, and the reason why I became a teacher was to help other black males. Cause I saw the need not being there. Right. And so my son is a uh, sophomore at South Carolina State University in the Call Me Mr. program. He is going to be a secondary um, uh, history teacher. Um, and I, I'm very proud of that because mm-hmm. uh, he has called me often uh, to say, listen, how do you do this and how can I do this? And and because uh, this this world needs to continue to have strong black male educators. And so um, I want the listeners to realize, understand that we're out there. We need your support. Uh, we, uh, Bold Leadership is an organization that you can uh, get in contact with and how we can help in that efforts in your community because our goal is to create bold leaders in every community. Got it. Awesome. Yes, I, I'm just going to follow up and say, you know, I know it's cliches, but the world can be a better place. Mm-hmm. And so I would challenge the listeners to find out what it is they can do to help the world be a better place. Um, what is your unique niche? What is it? What is that thing that drives you and motivates you that you can use to then inspire others? Uh, I invite you to go to our website, boldleadershipnetwork.org, where you can get involved with our efforts and uh, in, in our desire to uh, increase the conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, where we share our experiences and our unique skills that we ultimately feel not only makes our school campuses and and communities a better place, but ultimately the world. Who knew three years ago when when a group of principals just got together, honestly, for a few drinks and appetizers, that we would find ourselves uh, on on this platform with, on this podcast, uh, sharing our stories. Um, Every successful thing in life starts with a yes. So I think that uh, challenging the listeners to find their unique niche and how they can support and move this work forward. I would say that bold is a choice (laughs) and that we should use our voices, that every voice matters and that by um, connecting with organizations like Bold Leadership or the NAESP, um, your voice can be amplified in a way that is, in my, as I mentioned before, strategic, um, and that reaches the masses because you matter. You matter. Thanks, gentlemen. It's been an honor to spend some time with you today. Oh, thank you so much. It's been great. Yeah.